uh, our thinking about high impact church. Last week, uh, just as people come in, last week we looked at Acts chapter 1 and the people of a high impact church and you can catch up uh, with that online or grab a CD at the back uh, if you missed it. We left last time though, the people together, united, you might remember, praying, but all the same tucked away in an upper room. Jesus was going to continue all that he began in his earthly ministry, but now not through his physical body, but through a new body. Uh, a new body of people that would trust him and believe in him and follow him. A body that became known as the church. So there they are together, expectant and waiting. They didn't have to wait long, just ten days before the power of a high-impact church came upon them. And uh, I'd encourage you just to have it open in front of you, uh, page 1093, where Chris read from. And uh, we're looking, most of the verses that I'll talk about this morning are there in Acts chapter 2. And uh, the verses are numbered, the small numbers at the beginning of uh, every sentence or two will refer to the part of the chapter that I'm uh, talking about. I'll bring it up on the screen as well most of the time. So you can see at verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, the word suddenly. Suddenly is a fantastic word in the Bible because it often means out of a difficult or tricky situation, God is about to do something quite stupendous. (coughs) Excuse me for a moment. So, for example, in Malachi, uh, which is the book in the Old Testament, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to uh, his temple. Or, in fact, the Gospel writers talk about Jesus when he was raised from the dead. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And he came to them, and they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. At Christmas time, there are lots of suddenlies as Jesus came from heaven to earth. And when the Bible talks about Jesus coming again at the end of time to wrap history up, it says suddenly he will come. Out of a, a normal, ordinary, or a difficult, troubled situation, suddenly God breaks in. And may that encourage you this morning if you feel like you're in a difficult place. If you feel like you're locked away in an upper room. If you feel like you're in a place that's going nowhere. God breaks into people's lives suddenly and unexpectedly and we should welcome his coming in that way. So here we go, verse 2. Uh, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. The whole house. Hold on to that just for a moment as you look at verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And hold on to that as you look at verse 4 because it says there that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This power that came to the church is firstly power for all. Power for all. Not just as an optional extra, but just the ordinary way things should be. The power that God gives His church to do the extraordinary things that are ordinary in God's kingdom. Remember some of the things that we said last week. This is book two. So in order to understand or get the best out of book two, you need to understand a little bit about book one. 
And those who've read book one, which is the gospel, the story in the Bible that Luke wrote to tell about Jesus' earthly life, his death and resurrection, if you know a bit about Luke, his first book, then the way he begins in this second book is even more intriguing because of the similarities. You see, when Jesus was beginning his ministry, look what Luke wrote about him. It took place actually at Jesus' baptism. It's the first time that Luke mentions the adult Jesus. And look what, look what Luke says. Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. The first reference to Jesus is that the Holy Spirit was poured out onto his life. The next thing we read then is that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led into the desert. And if you know a little bit about the story, you'll know that there Jesus was tempted. And then the next thing it says about Jesus is that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And then Jesus begins to get underway. And he starts with his inauguration speech, his manifesto, and look how he begins. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, fast forward three and a half years. The church is about to carry on everything that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what it says, doesn't it, in Acts chapter 1. We looked at that last week. How could the church possibly begin to carry on everything that Jesus did and teach without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was so evident at the beginning of Jesus' own ministry? If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, people have said many times, how much more do I and you too? The power of God released as the dominant, necessary ingredient for us to carry on the things that Jesus started to do and to teach. The ordinary way things should be in his extraordinary kingdom. Yesterday, uh, the whole of the leadership team here met for one of our times of vision and strategy and planning uh, for the coming year and beyond. Fantastic. Love it. But it's very easy for us to think that, and we were talking about this yesterday, very easy for us to think that if we get the right strategy, we will be that high-impact church. But it's not, is it? And it's not that strategy and best practice isn't important. The Gospels are full of Jesus using strategy and good practice. For example, he drew a crowd and then he drew twelve and then he drew three and then he drew one. Nothing was haphazard about what Jesus was doing. The way he taught the Lord's Prayer was using a model of teaching that was best practice in his day. So Jesus was very good at taking what was best and utilising it for God's purpose and for his ministry. But that's not enough. That's not enough. Because when we're introduced to Jesus in the Gospels, Luke doesn't say, look, here comes Jesus the strategist, or the great methodologist, uh, uh, the, the person with a great message. Do something with that, please, Penny. Go on, you tell him, because I've totally lost it now. Or even does it say, Luke, uh, Luke introducing Jesus as the great visionary. But Jesus, the one full of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, 
What amazed the people was not the great vision or the great strategy, but the heavenly power so evident in Jesus' earthly life. So when they commented, for example, on his teaching, they didn't say what eloquent teaching, but they said that teaching has got real power. Real power. He teaches not like all the others. This man has authority. And Paul notes the same thing. And he says, when I preach, it's not with wise and persuasive words, even if I could. And to be fair, Paul probably could. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. However important it is for us to have a strategy, a methodology, there it is, or a great vision, we need the power of the living God to do in us so much more than what He did in Jesus that we might carry on and continue the work that Jesus began. If you think how the story then is told of Acts, it's a story of phenomenal growth intertwined with stories of phenomenal power. 3,000 people come to faith in chapter 2 and it begins with the miracle of them all being able to hear people, uh, of them all being able to hear uh, uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter speaking in their own language. The 5,000 that come to faith a few chapters later follows the lame man who hadn't walked from birth getting up and walking in the name of Jesus. The gospel broke out in Samaria because of the miracles of Philip. Many believed in Joppa because Dorcas was raised from the dead. And so entwined in the story is this church that pushed out unstoppable, despite the fact they persecuted them and threw everything at them, unstoppable because there was a power at work in them that was drawing people towards the kingdom of God. If Jesus didn't start his work without the Holy Spirit, how on earth can we carry it on without his empowering? So I want to ask you this morning as a Christian, I'm sure as a Christian you stood at the cross, And you stood at the cross and you've looked into the eyes of Jesus dying on that cross and you've been amazed that the Son of God would love you and give himself for you. And then maybe as a Christian you've walked in the garden of resurrection and you've heard the risen Jesus call your name, Simon. And you've known deep in your spirit that because he's alive, I can live also. Because he conquered death, in his name death will not trap me either. And as Christians, we've been to those places. I want to ask you, have you been to the upper room? And have you waited? And have you prayed? And have you longed? And has God poured out his power such that you cannot stay there any longer but stumble out into the marketplace of your life in a transformed way to share the message of his love and of his power? You see, maybe we think the 120 were just lucky. They were in the right place at the right time. But Peter makes it clear in his speech that they weren't just lucky. They weren't just lucky. Because Paul, uh, Peter goes back to a prophecy in the Old Testament in verse 17 and says, in the last days God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters, your young men, your old men. 
Next verse, just in case he hadn't made the point. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I really do mean, it's like Peter's saying, everybody, this is for all who own the name of Jesus. I'm going to drench them with my Holy Spirit so they'll be so alive in God's presence that they will not be able to help themselves but impact in a powerful way the world that's around them. As this guy says, let's just go back a slide or two to this chap if I can find it. We're not going to move this world by criticism of it or by conformity to it or we might add by best practice, by some strategy, by whatever you like, but by the combustion of lives ignited on fire, overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. Wow. And just in case you're a bit anxious about it, You're a bit anxious about it being some kind of mystical thing. Uh, Is this a force? Is this a kind of lucky charm? What kind of power is this? Let's go back to that verse 17. Here it is again. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. This is something from the heart of God to the heart of you. You cannot get more personal than that. There is nothing more intimate about God, the the Bible tells us, than the Holy Spirit that searches the depths of God. And God says, from my heart to your heart. If you've ever wondered whether your life has got meaning, if you've ever wondered whether you really matter, if you've ever wondered whether God's heart is for you, know this, he will pour his heart into your heart. The Spirit for all who want to be part of the work of the risen Jesus who will be willing to open their lives to the flood of his power. And as we have noted already, it's the power that mattered. Peter was an uneducated fisherman. He came from Galilee. He came from a place called Bethesda which basically meant the fishing city. It might well have had it dubbed the stupid city. It was where the people that didn't have an education and couldn't speak properly would go. And his Greek, because his natural language was Aramaic, his Greek would have been faltering and he would have spoken it with a country bumpkin accent. You know like on the telly when they want someone to sound stupid, they give them a Welsh accent? (laughs) It's not that funny. It was like that. In Jerusalem, with all the high polloi and the intellectuals, Peter sounded stupid. But what happened? Verse 7, utterly amazed at what was being said and happening. Are these men who are speaking Galileans? Yes, they are. Something miraculous was happening. And then Peter, it says in verse 14, stood up to speak with the eleven and raised his voice. And the same word in Greek is used there as is back in verse 4 when when it's talking about the miraculous power of the speaking in tongues. So the same power continued as Peter gave his address. And as a result, something fantastic happened. Flip right to the end of Peter's address, verse 37, when the people heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? It was the power that mattered. The anointed message from Peter, God's anointed servant. And 3,000 put their trust in Jesus. Which is a reminder, I think, 
that it's not just power for all, it's secondly power to reach all. To reach all. And and everywhere in this chapter, not least the climax when 3,000 come to faith, everywhere in this chapter is a reminder that God poured out His Holy Spirit on those people, that God will pour out His Holy Spirit in our day to reach all people. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came. Now I kind of used to think, in a way, it was called Pentecost because that's the day the Holy Spirit came. And we forget that it was already Pentecost, long before the coming of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was one of three great Jewish festivals. And Pentecost was the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. When the Jews would celebrate by offering their first fruits back to God of His provision through their harvest. So it was at the time of their harvest celebration that the Holy Spirit was given. What's the connection? Well, Jesus made the connection for us when He lived on earth. Because quite often He would talk about a harvest. He would talk about fruit bearing. Not crops in a field, but the harvest of souls, of people's lives. So He said one time, hey, four months And then the harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest for eternal life. There is a harvest that's ready now, Jesus says, to be gathered in. Uh, And then later on, or in another part of the the Bible, he's looking at the people and they're they're all stressed and they're out of their mind with worry and uncertainty. And Jesus says to his disciples, look, there's a harvest here. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. So, Jesus is saying there's this harvest, not in fields, but in people's lives. And then on the celebration of harvest, Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit. Why? For the greatest harvest this world will and has and still does ever, ever see. Something that's continuing today, faster than ever. More people are coming to faith today than at any other time in history as the Holy Spirit is poured out. So when we get the idea that the Holy Spirit was given for us to have a good knees up in worship, we kind of missed it. When we think the Holy Spirit was all about so we can argue about spiritual gifts and this, that and the other, we've kind of missed it. Power to reach all. The harvest of souls, the bearing fruit. Fruit in Jesus' words, that will last. And more than that, you see, so important are some of the principles embedded here. This was to be uh, a cross-cultural mission. It was to be a harvest of people from every nation, every grouping, every barrier, every tongue, people and language. Because there were in Jerusalem at the time, and Chris read those 15 or so different nations gathering together. This was for everybody now. This was a harvest that would go to all different types of people, all kinds of tribes. We don't talk about tribes, do we? But our, our nation is full of tribes, full of networks in different ways. Every network, souls to be gathered in this harvest across culture. And more than that, It would do that as the gospel would spread by a contextualized mission. What happened? Every tribe, every different people group heard the gospel in their own context, their own language. 
It's our job through the Spirit's empowering to make sure everybody hears about Jesus in their own context. It's no point Peter speaking in Aramaic to all of those people in Jerusalem. And it's no point us speaking in language of a bygone era or using words that make no sense in today's world. We must bring it into people's lives. This uh, contextualized mission that will cross every culture or maybe just to use other words, the Holy Spirit was poured out to make it real and relevant. How hard is that for us today? To make it real and to make it relevant. And what interests me is that those people who prayed and the Holy Spirit was poured out, they didn't have to go far, did they? Before they found people from another tribe that needed to know. They didn't go very far before they found people that they needed to share Jesus with in a real and relevant way. In fact, they stumbled out into the marketplace and there they were. And I want to ask you, who are the people that God has already brought to you. You stumble through your life, as it were. Stumble out of bed tomorrow morning. Who are the people God's already brought for the gospel by the power of the Spirit to be real and relevant? Power for all. Power to reach all. Power to proclaim Jesus. You see, it's... uh, Interesting, isn't it, that the people were fascinated about the wind and the fire and the tongues and stuff. And who wouldn't have been? What a spectacle. And that's what they wanted to talk about. They said, well, what are these amazing things? What do they mean? That's what they wanted to speak about. But Peter wanted to speak about Jesus. If you look at Peter's address, it's all about Jesus. Because Peter knew Jesus, the answer to life's question. And you can find these online if you're interested in them, but you can see how how the whole address, all about Jesus. And he brings it right to the end. And he said, what happened to Jesus now is history, but it's relevant to you in the present. And he did it like this. He said, you can turn around today if you like. You can turn your life right around today because of what Jesus has done. And you can be baptised. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. I just want to say, just for two minutes, I'm coming into land now, just for two minutes, why Jesus is so utterly relevant to every single one of us as we sit in this room this morning. You see, Peter says you can turn your life around because of Jesus, because he can deal with everything that's in your past. There's nobody here that hasn't got things in their past that holds them back. Faults and failures, regrets, sins, wrongs, Things we wish we could get rid of. And Peter says, because of Jesus, you can sort all that stuff, excuse me, all that stuff out. And many of us never move on in the present because we're overwhelmed by the past. And Jesus says today, through these words, hey, I can sort out your past. When I died on the cross, it was for everything that was wrong in you. Everything that was wrong in me. Why is Jesus the answer to life's question? Because of the past, but also because of the present. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Imagine having a power in you that enables you to change. New Year's resolutions are so ridiculously terrible, aren't they? Because you've already broken most of them. And as you get older and wiser, you think, I'm not going to make any this year. I'm not going to make any because I can't bear that sense of failing a few weeks, a few months later, a few years later. And so maybe you, some of you think you'll be really canny. You're going to make a New Year's resolution but not call it a New Year's resolution. That doesn't really work either, does it? Because it might be a brand new year but it's the same old you. 
And Peter says here, you can have the Holy Spirit, power to change. And some of us long for power to be different in the present. And lastly, Jesus is the answer to life's question. Because of the future. See, when Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on the early church, he gave it to them as a foretaste. A foretaste of everything that was to come. So that in times ahead, Paul would write these words. It's God who's made us for his purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Every time God pours his Holy Spirit onto our church, every time he pours his Holy Spirit into our lives, it's a taste of all that's coming, a deposit that my life, our lives, are safe in God's strong grip. Hey, no wonder, no wonder that day 3,000 said, hey, I'm in. I'm in. If, If that's true, And remember the power of which Peter was speaking. So they sensed in their gut it was true. If that's true, if Jesus can fix my past, my present and my future, if that's true that he came from heaven and died on the cross but then lives again and one day will come back to wrap all this history up, if that's true, I'm in. I need that. I can't fix my past and I can't change my present and I'm uncertain about my future. I need it. And they said yes. Jesus, I'm going to put my trust in you. And they were baptised that very day, 3,000 of them. And if you've worked out how long it would take 12 disciples or apostles to baptise 3,000, you'll be able to tell me now. They'd be baptising at a rate of about 42 an hour. It might be that they shared it out and got through the 3,000 quicker. And you go, that's ridiculous, that just doesn't happen. A recent report in the newspaper in South Africa reported a baptism of 70,000 people in a single day. One archbishop, 21 bishops, baptising at 23 times, uh, baptising 23 times the number of those who were baptised on that first Pentecost. That's our day, in our time. Because the harvest, the outpouring of God's Spirit into our lives. And Jesus is still continuing his work. And he says, hey, can I pour my spirit in you? Can I do this work with you? In you, through you? Jesus says something wonderful in the Gospels. He says, you know, oh, sorry, we don't know where we are here. Let's find another verse on here, if we find it. Here we go. How much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask. In fact, what Jesus said, he says, hey, you, you dads, you're not always that great, are you? Sometimes you get cross with your kids, sometimes you're, you're awkward with them and you're fussy with them. He says, hey, even you dads, you know sometimes how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Let's pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe, you're a Christian, but you just don't believe it's you. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the kind of thing God does with other people. Maybe you want the Holy Spirit, but you're not sure you want to change. Whilst you do want to change, it's quite comfortable sometimes the way that you are. And you know that if His Spirit comes, He'll change you. But maybe, firstly, you just haven't sorted things out with Jesus yet. 
you haven't discovered that Jesus is the answer to life's question. Maybe you're here in church today and I want to say to you, just like those 3,000, you can say to Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. I want to know you personally in my life as the answer to life's greatest question. You can do that today, right now in your heart. Just say, Jesus, Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I believe you came and died and you live again and you can live in me. You can forgive my sin and be present with me in the and guarantee my future. promise you that's a prayer that Jesus will answer today in your life. And he will fill you with his Holy Spirit if you ask him. It's heavenly power for everyday life. Something from the heart of God to the heart of you. Extraordinary power for ordinary living. I want to ask that if you've put your trust in Jesus, maybe today or many years ago, if you're a Christian today, you recognize this morning you need this power afresh in your life. You see, the Bible says, be filled. Go on being filled. The trouble is, we leak. There are times when we've been filled, maybe, and we need to be filled again. If you want God to touch you with his Holy Spirit today, I'm just going to ask you to stand right now where you are. Just stand. We're going to continue to pray. God's Holy Spirit will come in a fresh way and renew his work in your life today. Just stand now. Lord, we're claiming the faith of the people that have stood the stretching of their knees, the visible sign to others, I'm serious about the filling of the Holy Spirit. I need this extraordinary power to break afresh into my ordinary life. I need that which is from the heart of God to meet with the heart of me. I need that power. I'm praying, Lord, simply in the name of Jesus, let your spirit fall in this place. Would you honour the faith of all who've stood? Would you minister with those of us who are still seated? And Lord, as we continue to sing in prayer, we just ask, Lord, for that anointing on our lives, our thoughts and our speaking that would break us out of our comfort zones that wouldn't just get us to stand up from our seats but would just get us out of the locked room, the upper room it's great to be there with people we know and love, the prayer is fantastic, knowing you there is out of this world sometimes but we want to get out into the marketplace with the life-transforming power of Jesus. So let your glory fall in this room that go forth from here to the nations.